Welcome to the AIR Standard, a production of the American Institute for Economic Research. I'm Ethan Yang. Some may say that the American economy has slowed in its ability to innovate and grow. Some may also say that we are in the midst of a digital revolution and COVID has brought in that wave of innovation. Joining us today is Professor Renovitz Warden from Kosminski University in Poland, who's joining us, who's joining us at AIER's headquarters in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. She's an expert in, in entrepreneurship and has studied the and studied everything from the ideas of Joseph Simperter to Central European economies. Professor Wendovitz Warden, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, it's a pleasure uh, to talk, and there's a lot to talk. So, of course. So, I'd like to start off first by, I guess, framing this conversation because your research uh, looks at just how innovation plays a part in economic growth, how it comes about. Um, in particular, how COVID-19 and all the policy and social changes uh, that came with it disrupted uh, the American economy and may or may not be setting the stage for essentially the next generation of economic innovation and growth. So I guess to frame it, you, you, look, you look a lot at how Joseph Schumpeter's ideas and how they play out. Uh, can you give us an idea of who he was and then what's his general thesis? Well, um... Well, firstly, let me tell you that he was, I think, a very, um, you know, very unique person in 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 uh, in, in in many aspects. Well, firstly, he was, um, you know, he had this experience, the practical experience. So he wasn't he wasn't only the uh, theoretic economist. He was. Uh, um, he he had a background. His family background was in entrepreneurship. Um, uh, he also worked in the bank. He was uh, managing uh, banks. He uh, had experience in law and, uh, and, and advocacy, uh, working in different places uh, around the world. Um, he kind of experimented, or let me maybe put it in a way, he was open to many different um, ideologies or economic schools. Uh, so in a way, he was also, you know, arguing with, uh, you know, uh, from neoclassics to Marxism and Keynesian uh, approach, Lassaferism, um, also Marshallian uh, externalities. Uh, so um, he had in he, he was exposing his views to different schools. I think this is very important because at the very and he created his uh, very, uh, you know, own um, mindset about how the economy should be, um, you know, should be should run. And I think his concepts are, I would say, simply everlasting. They kind of a universal. And uh, the deeper you go into his works, the more of interesting and up to date elements you find starting from innovations. Um, he is considered to be a founder of innovation theory. Uh, what he observed, although, you know, the word innovation was probably, you know, present before, uh, probably some com comes back to some 15th, 16th century, and innovatus is in Latin word. But he actually uh, put this word into practice mm -hmm. uh, through the process, what he called creative destruction. Uh, for Schumpeter, um, watching from the practical perspective how the companies work, how they fail, 
and how they, you know, how they are being born. He understood that innovations and technological dynamics is the only stimulus, only factor that sustain businesses, mm -hmm. uh, that sustain and, or maintain their uh, economic or competitive advantage. And that's the only um, factor that can drive the long-term growth in, in, yeah, in, and increase the, the economic potential of all the sectors. If you do not go through the creative destruction, uh, um, it, it's like, you know, trying to be, not, trying not to face the reality. Mm -hmm. So, yes, in this way, um, his theory becomes especially important in the last decades. We've observed um, a huge, um, in, you know, huge dynamic, huge uh, trends in innovation, in patent applications in various fields. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I think his uh, concept of creative destruction was somewhat um, underappreciated in, uh, you know, a couple of decades back or going back to 50s. Um, I think, uh, you know, innovations were still at very slow pace and, uh, and, you know, we also had in Europe um, different problems, maybe structural problems. So maybe innovations were not um, so important and were not so visible as in the U.S. Mm -hmm. in the post-war uh, era. But uh, currently we see what innovations can do. Mm -hmm. uh, the positive sides of it, uh, they're obvious. You know, we wouldn't have all these high standards of living without innovations. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yes, it's very important that, especially you know, during the recession, to consider not only the negative sides, the externalities, negative, you know, in in terms of macroeconomy and uh, the lost entrepreneurship, but also to consider the positive sides, the bright sides, the creative part of um, uh, of, of economic growth. And here, where Schumpeter's theory comes very useful. Mm. And I want to talk a little bit about how his theory about entrepreneurship plays into the way the economy works and moves in the sense that I believe, especially there's two general entrepreneur theories, there's Kersner and there's Schumpeter. And I believe Schumpeter is the one that really talks about how entrepreneurs shatter the equilibrium and create basically a new playing field. Um, I guess you can see it as if you discover oil, for example, that changes the entire economy. Now everything's going to be run. Now there's going to be all sorts of different offshoots from that discovery. Or it could be as it could be just a slight innovation that changes everything, going from flip phones to iPhones to I, Apple Watches, right? So it can be just completely discovering a new thing to a slight change that really changes everything. Um, and so that's so I guess he's saying that when you have as market as a market matures, right, it gets kind of stagnant, it gets kind of old. Um, take Facebook or MySpace, for example, right? Someone invents MySpace, gets super popular, and then it kind of peters out until, you know, now people are wanting that new thing. And then a new company comes in, completely disrupts the market, and now we're off to the races again. That's kind of like the cycle of economic, like, yeah, it's basically an economic cycle of growth and then stagnation and someone invents something new. Absolutely. Well, um, the concept of creative destruction uh, wasn't that popular, just as I mentioned innovations were somewhat um, not perceived as a major factor of growth until the, you know, um, indigenous growth theories came into place. And we understood that there's a huge potential within the economies themselves to drive the, uh, uh, you know, to, to 
to innovate and to, to you know to use this creativity in creating um, higher value. Uh, well, for the creative destruction to actually to be able to just you know to make changes, uh, it has it has to be driven by technologies that you know meet certain conditions, and the conditions would be these innovations have to be um you know they have to be adaptable so they have to be accessible affordable by a, a greater market population so in a way market has to absorb these innovations um there they cannot be any major barriers in terms of um you know having too much market concentration so you leave some room for the competition for mm -hmm. the followers for the imitation because that drives you know that gives stimulus even for the, those who are actually, uh, you know, the the those who are innovating, the genuine innovators. It also um, uh, has to have a very smart, uh, you know, and business friendly policies. Mm -hmm. uh, let me take example of startups. Um, you know, in some countries, especially in Europe, in, in East Central Europe. You have to wait at least, you know, depends on the country, 20 days until you can start up a business. Mm -hmm. So it takes 20 days to go through all these bureaucratic, you know, procedures to start mm -hmm. up the business. Well, for someone who's ready to start, and, you know, who comes with a brilliant idea and, and, and just want to start the business, it's important. Mm -hmm. It's a huge amount of wasted time and it basically discourages. So, um, and whereas in the U.S. it would take just several days, so probably you know, four days or mm -hmm. um, five maximum. So that is important but because that is what we call uh, on top goes, you know, all the um, procedures that are, you know, quite complicated and it's um, basically, you know, brings in some unnecessary uncertainty. Uh, so it does matter so that we, um, as, you know, we have a quite friendly, in, in, you know, environment for for those very uh, creative entrepreneurs to be able to implement their ideas. Um, and then, of course, the whole package that goes along with it, uh, you know, scales, uh, you know, the whole network, uh, you know, value chains that you want. You have to have downstream. Um, uh, um, network, um, upstream network that will go uh, well, that will be concurrent mm -hmm. with the with that innovation. So, so all those mm, stakeholders will have um, profit maximizing incentives. Mm -hmm. So they will all care about that innovation being, you know, being successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that that is um, important, and that you know, there's a lot of different um, issues related to that. And uh, the more entrepreneurial environment um, is, um, I think, the, the, the greater the chances that the innovation will will um, will move the you know the entire economy towards different um, uh, you know innovation wave or innovation driven economic um, growth. Um, so that that really matters. Mm. And you're the author of a book. I forgot the full title, but you use the term "open innovation." Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Well, open innovation um, is um, is an idea that was um, 
founded by Henry Chesbro. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it basically points to a very important um, phenomenon that um, most of the you know innovators or you know, companies that implement innovations are trying to protect their technologies with intellectual property rights, uh, but they are doing it in a kind of abusive way. Mm. Um, in a way, they restrict the access to knowledge. Well, patents are fine, but if those patents are of poor quality, of the, or they are basically restricting the knowledge, the access mm -hmm. to knowledge. So the knowledge cannot, uh, in a way, you know, diffuse in the industry. And that, that you know, creates a huge gap between, you know, the, the leader and the follower. Mm. Uh, so in this way, that basically isn't helping the creative destruction, that impacts the creative destruction. So what uh, in a open innovation uh, points to is that we need to um, think how to optimize our knowledge assets uh, and probably find a way how to exchange and collaborate uh, by co-licensing, by um, engaging more uh, small and medium-sized enterprises into the um, uh, you know research and development process um, uh, with the you know bigger companies. So there are different ways, different channels how we can exchange that knowledge. Mm. Um, for instance, we can use the knowledge uh, of um, you know technologies and licenses that that are not you know any more relevant for our industry. Well, we should we shouldn't keep this knowledge just for us, just for mm. the sake that we wouldn't let the competitors to overtake our. You know, our uh, research and development uh, results. So I think that sort of a lot of these protective attitudes are simply not necessary. They mm -hmm. are not giving any uh, results for, you know, mm -hmm. for uh, either of sides. This is actually a pretty interesting uh, debate here in the United States. I, I know you actually studied uh, this dynamic in Central Europe, but I can tell you right now in the United States, there's already a debate about, because um, the United States has a very strong stance on intellectual property, very pro-company, not very pro-sharing, as you just pointed out. And that's that's the whole debate here is that some people believe, many, most of them economists think that, you know, more basically think as you do, we should open it up, allow this information to get out there, you know, allow companies to make, use that information, make similar products that can, can compete with one another, and then the other side, most of the lawyers, they're the exact opposite. They say, you know, this system of intellectual property creates the correct incentives for people to innovate because you want that person to reap all the benefits, not have to share some of that. And that's why we should strengthen, not weaken our intellectual property uh, policies. So I was wondering what your research from Europe uh, is showing since you were the one who looked into this empirically. Well, the thing is, it comes from just misunderstanding. Hmm. Uh, um, as you said, maybe some of the, you know, lawyers or regulators simply do, do not know specifics of business, specific mm -hmm. business field. Um, you know, it depends on, also on the industry. Some industries are at their maturity stage. Uh, so the, uh, you know, some industries require much longer technology, simply have much longer technological life cycle. Uh, so, and you also have some fields. Uh, that are simply are very important for Commonwealth. You know, just look at the environmental technology, um, uh, look at the sustainable uh, technologies, 
look at what, what's happening now with COVID, with the biotech. Um, so it realizes that it is very important for the efficiency to actually to increase the efficiency of our own R&D inputs mm -hmm. to exchange knowledge. Mm. Because it may be that someone has done it already, what we are doing right now. So if we do not exchange knowledge, it, it simply creates an extra cost for the company mm. and not, not, you know, not the other, the other way around. I think the policies should really protect, um, you know, the, uh, the unfair players, the imitators. So mm -hmm. that is simply you know, have to, mm, you know, that shouldn't leave any room for those who actually break the law, but, um, sharing knowledge is essential. In mm -hmm. nowadays, very, you know, especially during pandemics, I, we see that the sharing knowledge actually started being activated right now. Mm -hmm. We can see that in um, in uh, uh, team publishing, for instance, in, mm -hmm. in papers that are published with several authors, um, that you know it hasn't been that um, you know popular in pre-COVID times. We see, for instance, in Poland, it, it you know. During the pandemics, the, the papers, especially in fields like uh, life sciences, um, yeah, but also you know AI, um, you know automation, IT, all those papers they, they increase. So the collaboration already started in 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 this in these fields. Um, what do you think really drove what's basically made self-interested people who want to keep all the benefits of themselves start thinking more collaboratively? What do you what do you think the kind of sparked that change? Uh, well, I think uh, it's just um, basically misconception uh, mm. about uh, what the what the innovation really is in in my particular case, and um, how I can use. There's a really narrow mindness in this. How I can use the competitor uh, for my, you know, for my kind of good uh, for, for my, uh, for expanding, for, you know, promoting my own technologies. Uh, so instead of looking at a competitor as, um, as, you know, someone to, uh, you know, to make sure, you know, to, to stay away and, make, you know, I would put it in a very nice way, you know, high fences doesn't mean good neighbors. Mm -hmm. So if you, the high defense, mm -hmm. <laughs> the harder it is to, you know, to, 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 mm. to build the nice relationship with your, with your neighbor. Mm. So it, the policy should, you know, be enough, um, solid in order to protect your, um, propertyship, intellectual propertyship, but also, uh, do not, um, you know, do not create this, this, this hostility amongst the, you know, amongst the firms. Um, uh, yes, and it, it shows the results. I mean, basically open innovation gives, you know, some evidence in the literature that it does work, mm. that if we share our knowledge, because we do not share, uh, you know, the knowledge doesn't mean we do not share what we actually accomplish do, you know, but, uh, in sharing the knowledge on what we are doing, it's very important. Mm. So it's not necessarily maybe a government policy change, more of a voluntary business realization that you can make more money, make be more collaborative, be more exactly. innovative if you work exactly. together or not uh, more adversarially. Okay, so 
do you see similarities in the U.S.? Do you think the U.S. market is more towards the older model? Like, how do you see things changing, especially, I guess we'll get right into it, especially after COVID, this huge, right. uh, huge shock, right, that changes everything? Uh, oh, yes. Um, I think COVID um, probably is Schumpeter noted that mm -hmm. as every recession or depression has um, an opportunity in it. So in the way of adjustment to change, well, it's just a change that you have, you know, for some, if you're entrepreneurial, you will realize it's an opportunity. Um, if you if you prefer to see the only negative side, you probably won't, won't do anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, we do, in terms of macroeconomic impact, we do see there is a, um, a negative impact in labor markets and both in Europe and, and in U.S., uh, we see um, especially high unemployment during the two years of pandemics amongst the young people. And that isn't good for the creative destruction that kind of reduces your creative potential because you don't have, um, you know, you're not exposed to competition. You're also, because of those teleworking, you lose the, what I call the personal exchange of knowledge. Or, you know, so the knowledge spillover definitely be reduced because of mm -hmm. that. And that is important for the you know, future innovative potential. Um, we do see the reduced R&D expenditure. So that is something negative. In these two years, uh, the R&D dropped all around the globe, but especially mm -hmm. in advanced economies, like you know, OECD countries, EU, US. Um, we do see certain slowdown in patent applications, but obviously patent is it's outcome of the previous R&D efforts. Mm -hmm. But um, what is probably worrying is that um, certain fields, uh, high-tech fields, will suffer more. We see already aviation being neglected, basically, in, 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 in both in, uh, you know, it's been uh, hit by the shortages in supply chains, uh, but it also, you know, it, it, it demonstrates the, the, the lower um, intensity of R&D um, investments. We also uh, see, uh, which is important for creative destruction, a slowing, well, basically the shortages or disruptions in value chains um, also been uh, negatively affected the, you know, trade, tra mm -hmm. trade turnover, foreign trade, and especially in export, if you remember what happened, they just restricted export, especially with their healthcare or biotech equipment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is, isn't good because with the export and import, we know that comes new knowledge, comes, um, uh, you know, the investors, foreign direct investments uh, come with the, you know, with the trade. So that is not good for the creative destruction. So that doesn't give this positive impulses for the future innovations that somewhat slows it down, especially in the field that I just mentioned. But on the other hand, we do have the startups activity. We do have... Um, uh, this, you know, new applications of, um, you know, AI and IT technologies, we can see that in the growth of what we call smart cities. Mm -hmm. We use those applications to, you know, find a new way to apply them in uh, you know, tracing the uh, social distancing and social mobility. So we also network the cities better so we can, um, you know, take a common responsibility for the, uh, you know, for the popular, for the environmental um, challenges in cities, 
we also have seen something positive, like you know, CO two emissions um, has been reduced. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the same thing with the you know nitrogen dioxide that comes from from traffic from cars, uh, and these you know these numbers are they are you know two digits numbers we talk about like let's say thirty eight percent the um, in reduced emissions in in New York that is a lot fifty percent of uh, reduction of um, uh, nitrogen dioxide in, in Paris, Milan, and the big cities in Europe. So that is something positive that goes also along with the, you know, this, this, this city, the better city management. Mm -hmm. um, so this is something positive. Um, so if we balance, you know, this negative and positive effects of uh, COVID on, um, on creative destruction process, um, it's very hard to say at this moment because it takes time. Mm -hmm. But we may say that they were quite balanced. We've lost a lot of human potential in terms of, you know, as we said, unemployment. And, but we also gained on some interesting solutions, some mm -hmm. interesting innovative um, uh, applications of, of in, in different fields. Look at the digitalization, it, it, it entered um, into completely different phase. Mm. It, it went into the traditional industries. Uh, so I think that has certain potential to, you know, maybe even to, to move us, you know, closer to what the Schumpeter called the sixth wave of innovation, where we, you know, become you know, smarter, we apply smarter uh, technologies, we uh, build, uh, you know, environmental friendly cities. Now, we apply more of the concept of circular economy. So um, that, you know, that opens a room for the future growth as mm -hmm. well. So it's almost like we had many of the emerging technologies that are maybe in their infancy, but the technology was already being developed. It was already starting to hit the scene, but what really helped it and what may be really helpful for innovation would be that uh, this huge shock that was COVID that completely rearranged society allowed us to, I guess, take a quicker look at that technology and maybe accelerate its adoption quicker because now, one, we were forced to in a sense, like it was necessary for many of societal functions, but two, it just made us sit down and think a little bit. I guess like, a lot of the, the shock did clear out a lot of legacy corporations, a lot of legacy practices, and now it's essentially we've we're on the midst of a digital revolution, but perhaps this huge shock that was COVID uh, accelerated that leap from where we were to where, about, where we are about to be. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we, we, I think we underappreciate digitalization, but we all of a sudden, well, look back at the global financial uh, crisis, right after, um, after it's ended um, at the, you know, kind of a stage of a slow recovery, we, we, you know, we, all of a sudden we uh, came up with WhatsApp, with Uber, with uh, what was that? Dropbox, with Pinterest, and there's so many interesting ideas. And mm -hmm. they just came up after the global financial recession. So again, there's a, you know, hypothesis that it was a stimulus for the new way of, you know, doing things, what the Schubert mm -hmm. called creative destruction. Um, I think we may actually observe the same um, things uh, happening, the same kind of initiatives happening now, but in different sector, in e-financing, in, um, in education, in healthcare, in biotech, 
um, environmental technologies. So that's kind of, you know, very interesting um, association that right that they actually you know, recessions create certain opportunities. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing interesting, um, to, well, phenomenon is with uh, automation, with industrial robots, uh, you know, robots that is applied in manufacturing industries. Um, they've, been, they've been before COVID, you know, so all these technologies, they are not genuine technologies, but their application is what we've been observing this two, last two years with mm -hmm. COVID uh, was immense. You know, globally, the intensity of uh, robots in, in, in the manufacturing industry doubled. Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, automation is another um, uh, field where we see how, you know, the creative destruction process driven by COVID is, is um, getting its positive results mm -hmm. because the, the number of uh, robots that uh, been applied in uh, industrial manufacturing um, is, has doubled in, in these two past mm -hmm. years. Uh, that is globally. Some countries are achieving higher results. Obviously, Asian countries are much, uh, you know, having higher results because they've been investing in that earlier. I'm talking about Japan and South Korea, Singapore. Um, so, um, yes, but we see that, that trend right now in Europe. Mm. And that, uh, that gives us certain... Uh, I think very real hope for the higher productivity. And as we know, the productivity has been you know, slowing down its pace mm -hmm. in the last decade. So that that's, that's create um, kind of a positive stimulus. Mm. And I want to touch on that point, because this has been a narrative that many people have been saying is that, you know, the West is getting less innovative, we're growing slower. Um, so I guess, why do you think that was if the data does show that's correct? So was it just because that's kind of like the natural course of industry? You know, you invent, you hit some sort of industrial revolution, it shoots up a little bit, then it kind of peters out, right? It's sort of how it naturally happens until you hit the next wave. Well, I think in general, um, um, there is an assumption that the innovations that been um, driving the economic uh, prosperity uh, starting from 50s, 60s, they were more um, radical mm -hmm. and the innovations that we've been observing in the last decades, they say two decades, starting with the, you know, um, digital technologies, they haven't had that radical impact. So we, we didn't see them in the productivity growth. Um, so yes, in a way, uh, we were not aware how we can still use those technologies. Um, it's you can see that in Schumpeterian uh, innovation waves and um, graph that you know, every innovation wave is driven by some sort of technologies. And what we have in this fifth and, and sixth wave is basically digitalization. Um, you know, we have the environmental technologies. We have some smart cities, um, we, we have biotechnology, but all those fields, uh, they are they improving the standards of living, but they are not necessarily creating value added in the economies. Mm -hmm. And um, what COVID has um, showed, it's simply 
accelerated uh, in a way the creative application of the technologies that we considered as less productive. Mm. And uh, I think there's um, there's a very interesting, um, well, uh, conclusion from what we observed during the COVID is that there's a huge potential in the technologies that we have already, you know, discovered and, you know, in all these patents that are still somewhere driven, you know, hidden in the in the drawers. Uh, maybe it's time to look at them uh, once again mm -hmm. and see how we can make any good of them. Mm. So it's almost when you say technologies that we once thought to be not very applicable are now it's important. Skype, for example, well, not Skype because Zoom is a new thing, but video conferencing in general. We just once saw this, this fun thing you call your friends on and said hi, and it was like, oh, like we're on the screen, but now it's being applied in businesses. And I'm sure the efficiency gains from that, being able to work from home, being able to have a, a very clear, crystal clear video conference with people around the world, that's, I'm sure that's increased productivity tremendously. So it's just, that's just one item, of course. Like what we thought was just this fun novelty is now changing the way we do business. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. It, it I would call the soft factors of productivity, but uh, in time, in, in the cost and time uh, measures, that creates huge efficiencies. Mm -hmm. And even with teleworking, uh, we have seen that uh, it didn't affect negatively uh, our productivity, our you know, in terms of what we, um, uh, how productive we were with our time. Quite contrary, many uh, you know, many businesses notice that their employees have been doing very well in terms of productivity and time efficiency, and it was also um, you know minimizing the cost because they were working remotely, so they didn't have to travel you know and lose their time in traffic. Uh, but it also shows that in the long run, um, teleworking may have its limits. Uh, in terms of, as, as I said previously, it may, you know, it may reduce this personal contact, and which help, you know, to share this tacit knowledge, mm -hmm. this that that kind of also, you know, stimulates the knowledge spillovers, that also stimulates the um, brainstorming. So that that probably will have to, you know, somehow you know, properly balanced mm -hmm. in order to, um, you know, to use this, these IT technologies for the good, for the high efficiency in, in business. Mm. And then you mentioned how we essentially haven't had a moonshot sort of technology boom, but we are seeing this, this more, we're seeing like an efficiency boosting boom. And I, this is, I guess, going back to what some entrepreneurs like Peter Thiel would say is that this is all fine and dandy that we're learning new ways of using existing technology, but America hasn't had a moon landing style event on decades. Do you think he's right and there's perhaps some problems that we have, or maybe we're just not thinking about the quote unquote moon landing in the proper framework? Maybe our moon landing is going to look different this time. Uh, so I was wondering about your opinion on that. Well, I think that um, since there are some, well, some industries, like I mentioned, aviation, or um, where we see higher common interest on a public interest, um, there hasn't been any major um, changes in 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 in, um, in these particular areas. 
and public you know R&D expenditure they are always planned with several years ahead so I don't think personally they will be affected mm -hmm. uh, but um, what we see is that even in a in, in field like you know basically in every high field we see what we call an emergence of converging technologies so we try to find new ways how to use our artificial intelligence, how to use IT, how to use automation in many different ways. And I think um, that in, in this sense, what you're talking about, yes, the, the uh, yeah, moon um, experience or moon you know, aviation or aerospace, that will be positively affected by the fact that, uh, you know, we became suddenly aware of that there are more to this than just, you know, just a simple IT technology. Mm -hmm. So I guess final question to wrap up, you outlined pretty convincingly that innovation is possible, it's upon us, it's happening. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, there's many things that could withhold innovation, like regulatory practices, for example, uh, societal standards. So how do we essentially maximize and realize the potential innovation wave that's coming and what do you think can prevent it from coming or or su like su significantly dampen uh, the positive effects of of, base of the coming innovation wave? Well, I think that um, we have to realize that there are, you know, some fields, well, basically innovations shouldn't be driven, you know, somehow by public policies. But public policies may essentially, well, orient, you know, by giving a proper stimulus towards which, um, you know, fields the, the innovation, uh, you know, may go to. If we are interested in green technologies, we have to create, um, you know, quite strong incentives for mm -hmm. the companies to start investing into, you know, circular economy or the green technologies. and you know, taking example of the U.S., um, I don't see those incentives. Mm -hmm. So if we do expect to sort of um, to find the common interest, you know, public goods and the private um, profit maximization, we have to create the proper incentives because clearly, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, they don't see the interest in green technologies, mm -hmm. not at least in the U.S., we see that a little bit more, uh, you know, effective in Europe, but because we have much higher incentives mm -hmm. for the green technologies. Mm. So, yes, I think, you know, if, if we talk about uh, government and regulations, this particularly, this particularly, you know, some specific technologies like green technology, some of the common interest, health, uh, healthcare, and that has to be somehow incentivized by mm -hmm. the government. Mm -hmm. And in other areas, uh, government does, it's not necessarily incentive promises in the way. Um, yes, I think the government should stay a little bit out of the way by creating simply business-friendly framework so that, uh, you know, let the, the innovators do their job and, you know, create the very clean uh, environment, um, obviously having very solid, but also, um, you know, IP laws that do not give any any room for, you know, followers or imitators that are 
simply you know would break the, the intellectual property rights so but basically you know i would say leave the um the, the innovators do their job because they know their um they, they know that what they want they um they have you know different ideas they are very creative um and maybe one uh, you know possible macroeconomic um scheme would be in order you know to help those entrepreneurs is basically education to prepare the younger generation uh to have these critical creative minds um, to be able to perceive the potential uh you know that the technologies offer them but also how to apply technologies in the local ecosystem in your own communities because i think it matters i think they they should see this because this is where they, they where their mindset is being created so if they are if they see the problems and the, the possible ways to start it, to solve those problems this is very important professor wonowitz warden professor at kuzminski university in poland thank you so much for joining us today thank you if you liked what you heard today make sure to follow aier on all our various media channels such as facebook youtube Twitter, as well as check out our website at AIER.org. If you really like what you heard today and you want to support more cutting-edge researchers like Professor Wendemans Warden, make sure to become a donor. All that information and more can be found at AIER.org. Thank you. Mm -hmm.